Welcome to episode eight of Off the Cuff. I'm Matt Butler. I'm Darren Chohan. Now we're joined here by a special guest tonight, Devin Munch. Uh, but before we get into Devin and his practice, why don't we talk a little bit about the Super Bowl? That game was great. It was outstanding. Um, for for two weeks, just in the anticipation of this game, you know, it was. Uh, I I was really thrilled and I was excited to watch it. Did you check it out, Dev? Yeah, it was great. Hell of a halftime show, too. Halftime show was pretty good. I think, okay, we're going to talk about halftime shows. I honestly think, for me, my top of all time, that one. No. You're being yeah, serious? I mean, yeah. Yeah, why not? Are you, think about it. Think about this, this, like the halftime shows you've watched. You think that was the greatest of all time? I have watched some pretty good ones. And remember, I was in New Orleans Live okay. in 2002 watching that one, which okay. upset you a lot because I didn't tell you about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this one still tops that. And I was not there live. Do you think that was the top of all time? Uh, it's it's up there. Didn't you say your favorite was Maroon 5? Yeah, like your suit? No, man. Because it was <laughs> 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 Maroon. Anyways, yeah, it anyway, yeah, it doesn't no, matter. But clearly it was Prince in Miami singing Purple Rain while it rained on him. Fine. I mean, no? you're, you're going to go on meta. Singing you mean Purple meta? Rain in the rain. Facts. Anyways, whatever. Anyway, whatever. Okay, so... Uh, last episode, we covered off common law property rights. Yeah. And we realized after the fact that perhaps uh, it was a little complicated and... and a little technical. Yeah. yeah. And so I think we left off a little bit and we didn't close close the book, I don't think. So I want to get into just a little bit on how you as a common law spouse can protect yourself. And the biggest tool you have in your toolkit as a common law spouse mm-hmm. is a cohab agreement or often referred to as, you know, old, the old language is prenuptial agreement. Yeah. Um, you often hear marriage contract. There's yeah. lots of different words for this agreement. Um, but the best thing about it is that it enables you to contract out of provisions of the law and you can circumvent certain provisions. Uh, not all, of course. I mean, you, you don't want to talk to your lawyer uh, about that if you're yeah. getting a lawyer to do it. Um, but there are definitely ways to protect yourself. And, you know, what's the most common thing we see in, and biggest problem we see in common the, law relationships? It's prom- property regimes. It's always but, property. But, it, it, but more specifically, the home. Yeah, right. And the home is so unique because married couples and same-sex couples now or or um you know married persons get protection under the family law act yeah. for the home that they live in yeah because matrimonial it's, it's, it's home. deemed a matrimonial home under the family and law act yeah if you are a common law spouse you do not get that protection because you're a spouse but not a spouse for the definition of not that a, sec that area of yeah, the family not a law. married spouse correct and so the way you fix that is you contract out of that provision of yep. the Family Law Act. And so what you can do is protect yourself with a document that's living and alive until you change it, that you get access to the equity in the home right. that you've contributed to. Especially if they're long-term relationships. Yeah, because it's like a set it and forget it, right? right. That's a perfect way to put yeah. it. And then also what you can put, which is going to touch upon you know Devin's practice, is that you can even release or waive your rights to people's yeah. estates. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Because yeah. the wills often are made in tandem with these marriage often. contracts yeah. and, and domestic agreements. Yeah. And so why don't you tell us, Devin, then, a little bit about what you do? Yeah, uh, I'm a 
in the litigation department um, at Weaver Simmons. Um, and a big part of my practice is state litigation, capacity litigation. Um, oftentimes, the state litigation and capacity litigation, they're used interchangeably. Most people refer to capacity litigation as state litigation. Um, they're different. Of course, you had Marissa Sarazin in, um, on an, a previous episode. She discussed the difference between um, powers of attorneys, right, um, while the person is living, mm-hmm. and then the wills kick in when the person passes. Um, so essentially, it's broken up into those two areas, right, and different litigation for, um, and some of the same, but uh, different litigation in the two different realms. And I so guess. would you say we can classify, you can, you can look at this in two ways, right? Pre-death litigation and post-death litigation, I think it's, it's probably, yeah, it's probably a good way. Exactly. Right? And Marissa did a really good job explaining the solicitor side of things. Yep. And I think from what I'm hearing from you tonight, we're going to get a glimpse into the barrister side of things, the litigation side of things. So uh, on that note, I think we should take a break. Yep. Uh, we'll hear from our sponsor. Uh, and we'll get right back into uh, litigation with Devin. When can you trust your trustee? That's so good. This episode of Off the Cuff is brought to you by Weaver Simmons LLP, Northern Ontario's largest full-service law firm with over 30 lawyers and 60 support staff. For over 90 years, the law firm of Weaver Simmons has proudly served the interests of Northern Ontario residents and has built its reputation based on exceptional services to its clients. For more information about the firm, please visit www.weaversimmons.com. The link is provided in the description below. So we talked a bit about how your practice sort of separated into sort of pre-death litigation and post-death litigation. So what kind of issues are you seeing pre-death? So when we're talking about pre-death, of course, we're talking about powers of attorneys. So the two, power of attorney for personal care, power of attorney for property. So the power of attorney for property, of course, you're dealing with decisions of that person's property, the management of that, right? When you're dealing with the power of attorney for care, you're dealing with their health decisions. Most of the litigation um, is is often centered around power of attorneys for uh, property, right? Right, mismanagement, Not surprising, right? Mm, no, mismanagement of funds, mm-hmm. those kinds of allegations. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to remove an attorney who's been appointed. Um, and be replaced, um, replace yourself or replace uh, with someone else uh, who's more suitable for the role. Um, so are there uh, reporting requirements for these attorneys? Or like the trustee or whoever's acting? There are not reporting requirements, but you're obligated to keep records of your management uh, of that person's um, finances. So, but you can be compelled to pass your accounts. There's no obligation. Uh, Passing of accounts is essentially presenting an audit of your management of that person's property um, to a court for it to be formally passed. Um, An audit would be, you know, the assets as of the date you started, any liabilities, investments, um, and then the day you stopped or maybe up to a current period, right? What those assets, liabilities, um, investments are on that date and basically everything in between, right? All the transactions. So it really presents a, if you have to present those accounts, should present a complete picture 
of how you've been managing, how an attorney has been managing uh, that person's finances. Right. So how does someone have to be compelled to pass accounts? You'd have to bring an application. Okay. So there's no requirement to pass the accounts as an attorney, but someone can bring an application, perhaps an interested party, right? They could bring an application to compel an attorney. And so what does that, there's a relationship there, right? So that attorney has a special relationship and a duty and an obligation to the person they're managing the funds for, right? Exactly. It's a fiduciary duty. Okay. And what does that mean? To act in their best interests. So the decisions have to be made in that person's best interests. Okay. And then is it fair to say then if if an interested party feels or believes uh, that that attorney is not acting in the best interests of the person, uh, then an application to remove them for uh, a breach of that fiduciary duty that you just said is that that kind of the natural progression of, of the litigation in that? Regard? Yeah, exactly. If you, if you believe, right, that there's uh, mismanagement or that decisions are being made um, that are not in the best interests mm-hmm. of the person who've, who's granted the power of attorney, and we can even um, apply this to the power of attorney for uh, the person, right? So yeah. if decisions, like healthcare decisions um, that are being made, uh, are not in the best interests of that person, well, then that could be grounds for bringing an application to have them removed. This is something that a lot of family members become involved, right? Where power of attorney sometimes are family members, and then this person who's sort of requesting a passing of accounts or maybe wanting to remove a power of, the power of attorney or the attorney, it's the, oftentimes they're family members, right? Yeah, it is oftentimes family members. That's simply because... The person appointing when you're when you're granting your power of attorneys, you're typically looking for someone you trust, right? Right, someone mm-hmm. who's close to you, um, someone you believe will make the dis- uh, decisions um, on your behalf in your best interest. So you're oftentimes looking to family members, right? Um, it's not always the case. You could be looking to close friends, mm-hmm. um, but oftentimes it is family members. And like you said, oftentimes if people are looking to challenge right, a power of attorney or the attorney's management, right. that is also the same nature. It's, it's family members, right, because they're close with that person. Right. Um, so it can get rather contentious then and pretty emotionally charged. Yeah, it's, it's very much uh, not far off from family litigation. Yeah, I feel like you know, we, we see a lot of that inter-family fighting. Yeah. Uh, and this sounds a lot like that. It's very much um, in our realm, <clears throat> What about somebody, you know, this, this kind of, as you were talking, brought me to a couple points that I wanted to, to ask you. Uh, first, what if there isn't a power of attorney? Like what That's happens good question. there, right? Yeah. yeah, so when there's not a power of attorney, um, I mean, it depends. If the, if the person's still capable, right, of granting power of attorneys, well, then they can grant power of attorneys. Um, and, and it's as easy as that. Um, if there's any kind of question... Uh, as to their capacity, there are uh, capacity assessments. Um, so there are registered capacity assessors um, that can perform these assessments. Um, so it could be as easy as that, right? If the person is capable, well, then they're capable and they can grant one. They can choose who they want to uh, be in that position. But if they're capable, that means they can manage their own funds and make their own decisions. That means 
anybody who may have an issue with it, too bad. Correct? Yeah, and they, they can make their own decisions. Right. Um, but it's, it'd be to appoint someone in the future. Okay. Right. And mm-hmm. then what about the situation when, you know, you, you talk about capacity, right? And so you're in this, you know, I think what you would see more likely is a person who is um, deemed to be not capable by, by a capacity assessor. And we'll put a link down below for, there is a list of Ontario registered capacity assessors. So you can find somebody if you're, you're in that. Um, but, you know, they've gone to see this capacity assessor. There's no capacity to grant a POA. And now you're stuck because not, there is no POA. There is no capacity to grant a POA. Mm. What, what does that family yeah, what do? Then, yeah. well, so then... Um, if if they're incapable, another assessment. If they're incapable of making uh, decisions uh, for personal care, um, and then if they're incapable of making decisions of their property, well, then at that point you'd be looking at a, a guardianship application um, under the Substitute Decisions Act um, for someone to be appointed in that role. So the difference is, right? Of course, power of attorneys. That person can pick who they want. Right, they can pick alternates. The problem arises when they haven't granted those power of attorneys and they become incapable of making those decisions. A guardian um, ought to be uh, appointed to to make those decisions on that person's behalf. And once the guardian's appointed, they sort of make decisions as an attorney would under a power of attorney, correct? Exactly. Okay. It's it's a it's a little different in that the public guardian and trustee is involved right. on the application. Um, right. So it's on that application, you have to include the public guardian trustee. Um, they have some input. There's plans that are set in place. There's a management plan for the property. Um, and there's also a guardianship plan for personal care decisions. And this is all done. You keep saying application just for the listeners and viewers. You're talking a court application, I assume? Court application. Okay. And so, you know, Again, recommended when you're in this situation, I, at this point, when you're in this, I think our baseline is, you know, you should probably go seek out an, an yeah. estate's lawyer and just to, to get knowledge of where you're at. Because we've talked to Devin now about these issues and it seems to be that it can be very confusing as to which avenue you're in, the Not different, the different yeah. stages of capacity. And we haven't even got to what happens post-death. So I think... At this point, we should probably take a break. Yeah. Uh, and after the break, we'll get into uh, post-death litigation and we'll, uh, we'll see what happens when, uh, you know, you have estate trustees and, you know, then those requirements and, and get into that. Sounds good. This episode of Off the Cuff is brought to you by Weaver Simmons LLP, Northern Ontario's largest full-service law firm with over 30 lawyers and 60 support staff. For over 90 years, the law firm of Weaver Simmons has proudly served the interests of Northern Ontario residents and has built its reputation based on exceptional services to its clients. For more information about the firm, please visit www.weaversimmons.com. The link is provided in the description below. Before we get into law stuff, I really am excited to announce the launch of our Instagram page because... Unlike these guys who are much younger than me, I'm just getting into much the world younger. of Instagram. Much younger. So much younger. Compliment to you. They don't need to hold I am. But I'm learning a lot. And, you know, learning how to post on Instagram, 
learning how to do reels, which I just learned about. Yeah, welcome to 2017, my man. Holy wow. Really? It's that been that long? Longer? Oh, God. Okay, so on our Instagram page anyways, Off the Cuff by WS, uh, we just did a ran a contest, gave away some Subway Wolves yeah, tickets. Yeah, Wolves tickets. Yeah, that's pretty uh, cool. So that's cool. So congrats to our winner. And you can check out our Instagram page to find out who won. Uh, and stay tuned on that uh, because we're planning on giving out more swag, more stuff, bigger contests, and, uh, you know, hype train. Let's go. It's pretty cool. Um, now, I guess we got to get back to law. And reality. And reality. All right, so someone's <laughs> dead now. Not you. Not me this time. That's good. It's pretty sad. Yeah. Um, so we've dealt with the pre-death. Now we're looking at someone's died. What type of litigation are we looking at now? Yeah, so that estate litigation. You're looking at potential um, will challenges, uh, removal of estate trustees now, not attorneys. Um, there could be predatory marriages. Also, passings of accounts. Same type of thing with uh, as attorneys for property. We talked about predatory marriages last yeah. time last week a bit, eh? Probably a topic we should dive. In. We can talk about it a little later. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when you talk about will challenges, what exactly are the, like types of will challenges? Yeah. So a couple types of will challenges could be for um, undue influence, right? So in that circumstance, it's someone who is um, putting pressure on the testator the grantor of the will, um, so much so that they're, um, they can't make their own decisions, right? right it so it rises to that level. Right, so they made the will on, without, not on free will. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with a will, right, you're looking to the testator's intentions all the time. So when something brings into question uh, the testator's intentions, like undue influence where it's someone else's intentions, uh, that could be uh, grounds to set aside a will. And so like the basic example of that is, you know, you have somebody who's a beneficiary, like a, ch- a, a child or a brother or a sister, or somebody who's really dictating to that person who's making the will, who's the, who has all the money, where the money should go effectively, exactly. right? Like that's, exactly. that's like there, it's not at that point, it stops becoming about the testator or the person granting the will. It becomes about the beneficiary's, the beneficiary's intentions. intentions. Yeah. Right. And that's not what a will does. Right. 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 Okay. That makes sense to me. Yep. And there's also, we've talked so much about capacity with, with Marissa and now with, with Devin. So I'm sure there's an avenue that you can challenge a will based off a lack of capacity potentially. Yeah, exactly. Um, you can. Um, so those are, those are also pretty common, um, right? The, the person has to be of um, sound, disposing mind um, to, to grant a will. So there's a, there's a big legal test. We won't get into it, but um, it's uh, often... Uh, the basis for challenging a will is capacity. And that is the capacity at the time of the person signing the will. Exactly. So if somebody has a question about that person's ability to have made the decision for all the parts of the will, that's what you're talking about at that point, right? Exactly. And so uh, we get back into those capacity assessors and how important they are. Yeah. Um, and why it becomes so important to seek counsel and to seek just help to make sure that, you know, you are approaching it. As Devin said, it's a pretty complicated legal issue uh, that you probably as listeners and viewers don't want to be navigating on your own uh, and, you know, recommend that you do get independent legal advice and and talk to a lawyer about that because um, it's, 
challenging both if you are the one i would say challenging the capacity of that individual who had signed the will or you know being the estate trustee dealing with that will because it's also difficult because the person's dead so it becomes quite difficult to sort of mm-hmm. gauge the capacity. That's once, a, that's a really good point, right? Yeah. So yeah. you know the evidentiary basis must must be a high threshold. Yeah, exactly. You're lo- you're looking at other things, right? Obviously, you can't um, have a capacity assessment. Mm-hmm. You're looking at um, medical records. Um, you're looking at the lawyer's notes. If there was a, a lawyer who drafted the will, right? Um, you're looking at their notes, um, the questions they've asked. Um, you're looking at evidence from family members, close family members around the time that they granted the will. That's actually a really cool point that I hadn't considered is going back to like then lawyers meeting notes. Yeah. Because that would be a really good starting point to find out, you know, like when Marissa was talking about it, right? We asked her, you know, how many meetings do you have with these people to figure it out? And that's like such a good transition into what Devin does yeah. um, because, you know, you paper the file as a lawyer and that's a really good, um, I just never thought about that. That's great because you would want to see what the lawyer had taken notes, the questions they've asked. That's, yeah, that's eye-opening. Yeah, they're very important in will challenge cases. Now, we talked about, you know, when someone has a, someone's the attorney or has the power of attorney, to deal with someone's assets and they have a fiduciary duty to the, the, the incapable person to manage their funds. Man, you know, they can't mismanage the money. The suspicious transactions, we, we can bring applications. But there's, it's similar to an estate trustee as well. Yeah, right? so an estate trustee has a fiduciary duty to the beneficiaries of the estate. Right. So anyone who has inheritance under the estate, they have a fiduciary duty to those people um, to act in their best interests. So, um, oftentimes that means they have to, you know, administer the estate properly, give those, um, beneficiaries their proper distributions, right? After everything's all said and done, right? Taxes are paid and, um, debts, debts are paid, right? And is there a similar mechanism, I would assume, uh, like the passing of accounts for estate trustees as well? Yeah, exactly. So beneficiary, um, is entitled to a... Uh, formal passing of accounts entitled yeah no. oh so oh wow so you don't even have to bring it do you have to bring an application for uh, it yeah, yes you, you okay would. you still have to bring yeah, an the beneficiary okay. would have to bring but there's no like the, the trustee wouldn't be able to then say like no i'm just not doing i'm it. not going to do it yeah okay. exactly oftentimes they they might pr- provide an informal mm-hmm. uh, accounting right mm-hmm. right um, but if the beneficiary is not satisfied with that and there's still questions left they could bring a uh, a formal application, and they're entitled to do that. And then, does a judge review the accounts? A judge will review the accounts. Yeah. Okay. And then, is it when you say if if it if it gets to hearing, right? right? And if so the accounts right. are uh, agreed upon, right? right? Well, then it, it right. may not so go before a I judge. See, I see. Yeah. And if it goes to a judge, then the passing of accounts is essentially like a judge signing off on, uh, you know, reviewing the documents and saying, okay. I am satisfied on the evidence that these this trustee has done their job. Exactly. Now let's say the it's estate, a big undertaking. It's a huge undertaking because now let's say the estate trustee has not done the job correctly. What happens then? Well, the their transactions, right? They'll they'll be um, if they if they can't show where the, where money's been, um, they can't uh, properly account for um, their management. Well, then they run into issues. 
right? You could be held personally liable for that. So you can be held personally liable for the mismanagement of the estate funds. Yeah. Oh, wow. So then you have to pay some of that. So what happens? Is there a civil action then? Would that would someone sue on behalf of the estate or you could? Yeah, you could bring an action. Okay. Um, in tandem with the application to pass accounts. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then presumably alongside of that is the application there to remove that person. Right. right. Usually yeah. similar. Yeah, you'd be looking for that relief for sure. Right. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a fun job. Hey, me a state trustee. Well, it's just you have so much responsibility. Yeah. Like, like you have the fiduciary duty just. Like you said, you have to act in the best interest of the beneficiaries. And if you have multiple beneficiaries well, then you're and, stuck and a large estate and, you know, you're having to manage a lot of funds and or a lot of monies and be complex. Yeah. That's why it's very important when you're making a will to pick someone who you think would be capable of filling that role. Right. Now, I know that yeah. our listeners and viewers will want to know this question because it's something I want to know. We touched upon it with Marissa a little bit, but I didn't get the answer really. I don't think I want it, but I want to know do you get paid to do that job because it sounds honestly if i'm being honest sounds miserable sounds onerous yeah yeah you do, do get, you get paid. paid yeah you do get paid trustee compensation um and it's uh basically it's calculated on a tariff basis um so that, a, per- a percentage of okay. the estate oh okay yeah, okay yeah. so it depends on uh, the transactions um, and the, the value of the estate, but you do receive compensation if you if you claim it. There's some solace in there. Okay, right? I was gonna say could be worth it. That depends on the estate. Could be or could be not worth it too. Yeah, very much so. Um, last time you and I talked, we you know, I get fired up about like case law, case law, and, and cases. Yeah. You know, my chicken coop. I go back to. I just yeah, love that love case. Coop love case. that case. And so today. I was really hopeful that Devin was going to give us some fiery case law. And uh, what do you got for us, dude? I have one case. Uh, it's pretty good. I think it'll meet your standard. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I got, I, you know, it might, as long as it has some element of chicken coops or the, you know, something Ooh. like that. The likelihood of that is quite low <laughs> in any of them. Okay. Okay. Right. 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 Um, so this case, it's McGrath and Joy. And um, we'll, put the, we'll put the link to the case below. And uh, essentially the issue before the court was whether to probate, um, so prove uh, a suicide note as a, as a will. And so, okay. It's pretty heavy. Well. Yeah, that's deep. All right. I'm interested though. I'm, I'm interested. I'm pretty locked because in. Because that, I think, you know, you get into probably a whole host of issues. So a suicide note, um, handwritten presumably. Yeah, so it's uh, a holograph will. So that's right? the, that's the term that you yeah, use. Okay, exactly. So what happened? Um, so uh, the question. So a holograph will, f- first and foremost, is uh, it's an exception to the formal requirements of a will, right? right? So it simply just has to be written by the testator and then signed. So you don't need the two witnesses, right, to to um, to attest to the the signing. Um, and courts will um, probate these holograph wills. Sometimes I think you like napkin will, right? You hear that yeah. sometimes. Yeah, you've heard, like yeah. Hand write it on a napkin and call it a day. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, so in, in this case, there was no dispute that um, the testator had written this will mm-hmm. um, and no dispute that he signed it. The issue was whether he had capacity 
at the time he granted this uh, suicide note will um, to gr- whether he had capacity to grant a will at that time. Okay, and so now this person is is dead. And you have the beneficiaries of his estate. Like, who are the parties to this litigation? Like, who are they? Yeah, so uh, it was an application brought by the deceased's um, stepson. Okay. So um, he brought an application to to have the that suicide note um, approved, right, as the last will and testament. So why did he do that? Well, because it's, the, the deceased had a previous will, which mm-hmm. was also a holograph will. But this this suicide note was more favorable, right, to to him, the um, stepson. Yeah, okay. exactly. There are other parties involved, but um, that's the gist of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah. So, what was the finding? What was the yeah. court's finding? Uh, the court actually found at the trial level um, that the um, it it was not uh, it was not proven. Uh, he didn't have capacity to grant. A will at that time. And what were the reasons that he didn't have capacity? Well, there were circumstances which called into question his capacity. So there was lots of evidence from family, uh, from close relatives, that um, he had suffered from alcohol and drug abuse. Um, that abuse uh, was greater in the six months um, to his to his death. Um, and there was also evidence that he had been abusing alcohol and drugs on that on the night of his death. Um, so that was the the significant factor. And so they had actual evidence, and I presume you said at the trial level, this was like a full trial with evidence and testimony and all of that. That's what that, yeah. that's what happened here. Okay, and so they the trial judge makes a finding of fact that because this guy was using drugs and alcohol leading up to his death and then on the night of his death, right. that was sufficient to demonstrate that he may have had a uh, lapse in capacity when he made the holograph will? Exactly, yeah. The, the stepson tried to um, adduce medical evidence, an expert report, um, but it was inconclusive that he had capacity um, when he granted the will. The, the suicide note. And we've just recently learned that the Ontario Court of Appeal has reversed this decision, right? Exactly. So yeah. I think, why don't we take a break? And I am pumped to hear about this because... Yeah, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, when the Ontario Court of Appeal weighs in, you know that it's going to be a serious issue. And the, the cool part about that is that now it's going to form a part of the law in the province of Ontario because yeah. the Ontario Court of Appeal has spoken on it. So let's take a break. We'll hear from our sponsor, and we'll dive in to the Court of Appeal. This episode of Off the Cuff is brought to you by Weaver Simmons LLP, Northern Ontario's largest full-service law firm with over 30 lawyers and 60 support staff. For over 90 years, the law firm of Weaver Simmons has proudly served the interests of Northern Ontario residents and has built its reputation based on exceptional services to its clients. For more information about the firm, please visit www.weaversimmons.com. The link is provided in the description below. Before the break, you had mentioned that the lower court's decision was reversed by the Ontario Court of Appeal, correct? Correct. So what happened there? So uh, the Ontario Court of Appeal essentially found that the lower court um, erred in finding that the testator did not have capacity 
when he granted the holograph will. Oh, wow. That's a big deal, I think, eh? Yeah. So that, so that would mean that in Ontario now, courts will recognize suicide notes as holograph wills, potentially. Well, courts uh, did so in the past. Okay. So it's, it's not necessarily new, um, but it just reinforces that, um, that courts will accept um, holograph wills, suicide notes in particular, um, as, um, as a valid will. Um, subject to capacity, and, capacity. So, and, that's, right. and that's what the Ontario Court of Appeal was dealing with right in this case exactly. and so like what what did they base their decision on to get to that result that you just told us about so what they did was they reapplied the test for capacity to grant a will mm-hmm. uh, sound disposing mind um, and came to the conclusion or the finding that um, the testator did have capacity when he granted that holograph will and so for our listeners and viewers, just so you're aware why we're, we're, this is a big deal, is that the Ontario Court of Appeal is the mm-hmm. highest level of court in the province, right? And so that highlights the importance, I think, of what Devin's been getting at this whole episode, is how important it is to have your affairs in order, yeah. or at least consider it, right? To go seek that appropriate legal advice to make sure you get your... Um, you know, manage your affairs, get your powers of attorney done, yeah. get those wills done if you if it's appropriate for you, um, because you don't want a situation where you end up with your estate being litigated at the highest court in the province, right? Yep. And so, you know, on a side note, uh, we've talked about the suicide note, and you know, this has been a fairly heavy heavy topic mm-hmm. um and so we just want to make sure that you know if you know somebody that's struggling with these issues if you are uh we have a link we'll put a link below to some resources that you can access because these are real issues that people deal yep. with and uh, we're, we're cognizant of that but we thought it was very important to highlight this case because uh of what it meant for uh holograph wills and the establishment of that uh you know and you know when the ontario court of appeal speaks about it it's important for people to know. I couldn't agree more. I'd like to thank Devin for joining us today. We really appreciate having your insight today, man. Thank you for having me. I'm always, I, I say this every time, but like. Always amazed by what our colleagues do. Yeah, because, you know, I practice, we practice in our little corners and, you know, you and I do the same kind of work. So we're aware of what's going on. But, you know, just down the hall, Devin's doing something completely different. And been great to, it's, it's really great for us to hear. Uh, what goes on in this building sometimes and and the wealth of knowledge and and, uh, expertise that we have here. We really appreciate having you on. Really appreciate you taking the time to come uh, come talk to us. Now, next episode, we're going to take the viewers and listeners on a bit of a ride. Where are we going? We're going to take them through an entire personal injury file. From accident to judgment, what you can anticipate. That, I think, is going to be... It's going to be interesting. Interesting, because... You're driving a car, get in an accident. Where do you what, start? What, what do, do you do? do? Where do you start? And you're hurt, right? Exactly. And that's nerve-wracking. That's, that comes with its own host of challenges. So good, good idea. I think it's a You're great full idea. of good ideas. You do this all the time to me. I'm so good. I don't even know what you're going to say. Like, I don't even have anything on this iPad. It's just, I know. It's, it's just a blank c- screen, right? Blank There's nothing screen. there. No. Um, so we'll, we'll, ha- we'll have a special guest next episode yep. and that will take us through that. So... Um, Thank you for joining us. I'm Matt Butler. I'm Darren Chohan. See you next time.
Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe to our podcast. Listen, do what you gotta do to keep us around, okay? The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Weaver Simmons. The contents of this podcast are strictly for informational purposes and not to be construed in any way as legal advice. If you have an issue that you believe requires legal advice, we suggest you contact a lawyer, and if you do not have the financial means to do so, contact Legal Aid Ontario or the Law Society of Ontario. The links are provided in the description below.